starting a new series that we're excited about, and it's called Are You In? And if you were here with us at the beginning of the year, you may remember we talked about the purposes that Christ has for us, that we are called to live. We talked about that the fact that we are called to grow in Christ, that we're called to love God and love others. We're called to live our faith out in the context of community with other people so that we can be challenged to serve others and to live on mission for Christ. And that those are the purposes that we're called to do, to live out. And that as Mountain View, we're serious about taking those, those purposes and helping people live them out. Well, this week, as we start this series, we're going to be talking about asking every one of us if we're in when it comes to living these purposes out through the church. You know, we, we're going to be talking today about, are you intentional? You know, are you intentionally living out the mission of Christ? Next week, we'll talk about, ask, we'll ask you, are you involved? Are you involved with the mission of Christ through your church. Then we'll ask you the, the following week, are you invested? Are you invested in the mission of Christ? Are your resources, time, and talents being put towards investing into eternal things versus the day-to-day and the, the, the here and now and the things that fade away? And then finally, we're going to be asking, are you inviting others? Are you inviting others to join you in the mission? For some of you, that means simply inviting people to come to church with you. For others, it means asking, inviting people to step into a discipleship relationship with you, inviting people to, to grow by reading the Word together or to start a small group and do those kinds of things. So we're going to be talking about all four of those things, and we're excited about that this morning because we have some big things on the horizon. And as we enter into those big things and looking at what God has for us in the future, uh, it's going to take the church body. It's not something that we can do just a few people. It's something that is going to require all of us getting behind it and being in when it comes to that. I love the graphic that we have, this idea of, you know, I mean, you know, everyone you know, feel like you're going on a mission, right? You put your hands in and then ready, break, right? So, so these next four weeks, we're asking you, are your hands in? Because we're going to break to go do some awesome things that God is calling us. So let's pray, and we will start talking today about being intentional in our faith. Father God, I thank you this morning for your word, and I thank you, God, for the way it speaks to us. And so, God, I ask that you would just give us your wisdom this morning, open our hearts, um, and God, help us to really examine our life and the things that we are intentional about, to ask ourselves, are we wandering in our faith, or are we intentionally living out what you call us to? I pray these things in your name. Amen. So, um, sociologists talk about the intentionality gap. And the t- intentionality gap basically says this, that we have a tendency to judge others oftentimes more harshly than we judge ourselves because we judge ourselves by our intentions and yet we judge others by their actions. And yet our intentions oftentimes don't match our actions. Right? So, for instance, we see something on television that draws compassion out of us, and maybe we get a teary eye, and we feel like we're a, 
merciful person. We're a compassionate person. We're a loving person. We um, see someone with a need and we intend on helping that need. So we begin to see ourselves as a generous person and, and a giving person. We see ourselves as these people and yet we t- look at other people and we only look at their actions because we don't know what's going on in their heart. So we judge them by their actions and we see them as harsh or we see them as not giving and that kind of thing. And yet sociologists say the truth is when it comes to our life, our intentions oftentimes don't match our actions. We don't actually follow through with our intentions and that's called the intentionality gap. And so today I want us to look at that when it comes to our faith. Is there an intentionality gap in our faith? Is there an intentionality gap in the way we live our lives as Christ followers? Um, Intention, the word intent is defined in the dictionary, and we're going to look at intent, right, because intentional, intentions and intentionality would both come from that word, intent. The word intent is defined as a determination to act in a certain way, or I like these two definitions, a fixity of purpose or a firm determination marked by boldness and steadiness. I love that last one. A firm determination marked by boldness and steadiness. And my hope is that as Christ followers, we would be people that have a firm determination to act boldly and to be steady in the mission of Christ. Because intentionality takes determination. Intentionality takes determination. So as we start looking at this today, I want us to look at someone in the Bible who I believe showed great intentionality in how they lived. So if you have your Bibles, open them to 2 Kings chapter 22. And we're going to look at chapter 22 and 23. If you're somewhat new with us, I just want to take a minute and explain this. We don't put the verses up on the screen that we're reading because we want you to learn how to find things in your Bible. So this comes up when we mention most verses because it just shows you where, what we're talking about, where that is in your Bible. So if you start, if your Bible starts in Genesis, you're going to go all the way through all those books till you get to 2 Kings, and that's where we're going to be today. So we, we believe you should never believe what someone else tells you is in the Bible. Look it up for yourself. Um, so 2 Kings, and we're going to look at Josiah. Josiah was one of the 39 kings of what was, what's called the split kingdom era of Israel, Okay. So Josiah says this, for 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 1 and 2. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jebabah, daughter of Adiah. She was, born, she was from Boskoth. Boskoth. But here's the part we, we, we want to look at. Verse 2, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. I love that picture, right? He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, not turning to the right or to the left. I picture someone walking a tightrope when I think of that. Every time I read that, I visual walking a tightrope. Because if you're walking a tightrope, you do not want to walk to the right or to the left, right? You want to stay focused on where you're going. And Josiah kept his life focused on where he was going, what kind of steps he was taking. Now, just to give you some context about Josiah, 
Because it's easy to maybe to think, a lot of times when if we don't know the Bible very well, we think, well, you know, yeah, but in those times it was different. People, everyone just followed after God. Eh, not, not true at all, okay? Um, that this, this was not the context he was in. In fact, he was in a very godless time, even among Israel, which was God's people. <clears throat> so just a quick history lesson. The Israelites were the people that God brought out of Egypt, right? And they lived under the rule of judges for many years with God actually being, it was a theocracy. They were under God with judges just kind of stepping in to help when times of need. And then they elected a king. That first king was King Saul. And then there was King David, which is very popular. We all know King David and King Solomon. Once King Solomon died, the kingdom was split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Over the centuries of the northern and southern kingdom, there were 39 different kings that reigned in those various kingdoms. Okay? Of those 39 different kings, the Bible says that only five of them were righteous. That most of them were either indifferent to God or downright evil. They did evil things against God. And so as a result, Josiah's people were, were living a completely godless, in a godless time. They were not following after God, even though he was faithful. So, so that's just kind of some, some mindset about who Josiah yes, was. And yet the Bible tells us that he was very focused in what he did. He didn't wander. And see, I'm, I'm afraid that many of us wander in our faith. We just kind of wander along and... and don't really take much time to be intentional about how we live out our faith. But God calls us to be intentional. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 through 10. This is Paul. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. And he says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 through 10. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. I love that verse. Find out what pleases the Lord. Do you hear that? There's a personal responsibility on our part to find out what pleases the Lord. And then to live in such a way. I love what the way the message paraphrase says this. If you're not, the message is a paraphrase of the Bible. It's not a liter, the literal Bible, but it's someone who just took the Bible and wrote it in a modern day language. So we don't use that as the... Uh, to preach from, but there are times that I feel like it, it words the, uh, words the, the passage in a, in a really visual way. So listen to what the message says of that exact passage. <clears throat> it says this, you groped your way through the murk once, but no longer. You're out in the open now. The bright light of Christ makes your way plain. So no more stumbling around. Get on with it. The good, the right, the true, these are the actions appropriate for daylight hours. Figure out what will please Christ and then do it, right? It's a Nike commercial, right? Figure it out and then do it, right? But that's not how we really think of our faith oftentimes, is it? Oftentimes we're just kind of like, yeah, you know, my faith is there and I'm just kind of doing it and hopefully God will reveal and, and I'll pray and I'll ask God. But I'm not really taking the time to really find out what God says about what I should be doing in the various situations I face in life. 
You know, I deal in counseling so often with people who say things like, well, it just kind of happened, right? Or, you know, I didn't really didn't mean to end up here. It, it just was kind of an accident. I just was kind of going through life, and now I'm just, I'm, I just ended up there. I see that in marriages, people that never, you know, they had good intentions in their marriage, and then it just kind of ended up falling apart. We see it in financial ruin, people that end up in bankruptcy or in debt over their ears, right? And they just kind of like, well, I didn't mean to. I just kind of ended up here, right? But that's not the way it works. I guarantee you there's no tightroper that just says, well, I just kind of accidentally fell off because they're focused. They know why they fell off. They'll remember the exact moment their balance got, went off because they're focused on what they're doing. See, I think a lot of us as Christians, let's just say this is financial ruin, right? I'm down here, I'm in the pit of financial debt, right? And a lot of us as Christians, we just kind of wander through life. And so instead of saying, hey, I'm going to walk a straight and true line when it comes to my finances, I'm going to be a generous giver so that I understand that I am a steward of God's resources and that it's all his. And so that I don't have this mindset of it's all mine and I need to get more and more and build my kingdom. And I'm going to, to, to put away so that I have some, some uh, resources in case there's a, there's a rainy day and I, and I ha- get in trouble. And I'm going to live under my financial means because if three quarters of the world can live way under that, I'm sure I can possibly do it somehow. And I'm, I'm going to be frugal in how I live. See, we, instead of doing that, what we happen to do is we just kind of go through life and we kind of go, yeah, you know, I got some bills. Oh, look at all these credit cards. God must know that I need a credit card because I keep getting all these credit card offers. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some, I'll get a couple credit cards and you know, and, and I know I should be saving for a car when it breaks down, and in that way, when I, when, even if it doesn't break down, I have money to buy a car in the future, but instead, I'll just keep paying payments, and as soon as I'm done with those payments, I'll go get a new car, because that seems like a wise thing, and then, um, you know, I know I could have, take $8,000 and go buy a car that I have outright, and I don't owe anything on, but I'd rather take four of that eight and buy, put a down payment on a car and then go on vacation with the other four and then I'll, I'll have a $500 a month payment on a $30,000 car and, you know, I'm going to live in a neighborhood I really can't afford because other people live in neighborhoods they can't afford and they're, you know, I should have what they have. And when I do get that house, rather than saving like my parents did and having used furniture and only furnishing one house at one room at a time because that's what I can afford, I need to fill my whole house with new furniture and it's only it's six months good as credit. I'm sure I'll pay that off eventually and it'll be okay. And man, all my friends are going to Hawaii. I can't afford to go to Hawaii, but I do have all those credit cards and oh, I don't know how this happened. I just ended up here. God, right? God, you need to fix this. You need to help me out here. I don't understand why you let these things happen to me, God. You see? See, we're not intentional. We're not walking in an intentional, straight, true path and, and, being, and, and understanding the principles of God and, and giving them to Him. Instead, we just kind of wander through this life, meandering through it, hoping it's all going to work out, and then we wonder why God let that happen to me. And we, and we ask Him, we tell Him, God, you need to fix this. See, we need to be intentional if we're going to live our faith out. I want to just show you a quick interview. It's an interview testimony of someone who I think does a great job of of just dealing with talking about 
being intentional in our life. And so for, throughout the series, there's going to be a new, a new testimony every week that we're going to share someone who goes to the church who is putting these practices into, into practice. So watch this, watch this interview. Hi, as we're talking about being intentional and growing in our faith, I'm here with Stephanie Luke to discuss some of the things she's doing to take intentional steps in her faith journey and what kind of difference they're making in her life. So Stephanie, share with us just some of the steps you have taken to personally engage in your faith in an intentional way and to grow in your relationship with Christ. The biggest thing would be um, studying the Bible. Um, it's the Word of God. It's our His love letter to us, and it's important for us to know what He says. It's our one concrete that we can say, this is what God said, and this is what He saved for us. And so I think it's important that we are reading it. How are we to know what He wants or the things that he wants us to do if we don't know what it actually says um, in my first and then um, second. Just um, being with people that you can talk to about it, that can sharpen you, and you can discuss Jesus with, and you can discuss what's in the Bible. Um, just to have that bouncing off of each other, I think is just really invaluable. Okay, so what kind of difference would you say taking personal responsibility for growing your faith has made in your life? Um, it's everything. You know, it's um, dependent upon me. I can't rely on other people to um, grow my faith or to teach me the things that I need to know. Um, coming to church to step, but um, you know, a lot of times the lessons are just basic or they might be not the thing that's the most applicable to your life at that time. And um, so just being in the Word every day and um, I think it's something that you have to do. Well, you know, it's been awesome to just watch you grow over the last year and to see you really in many ways, because of these steps you've taken, grow in leaps and bounds, even compared to people who have been following Christ for quite a while. And I think a lot of it is because of these steps that you've engaged in. And so I would just ask you, what are some encouragements that you would give some people that maybe are just wrestling with that or thinking about taking those kinds of steps to really be intentional about engaging in their faith? Yeah, I think, um, well, this is going to like maybe sound like pat answers, but um, you do have to pursue God. And my biggest um, idea for that would just be in His Word and to know what He says. Um, I think that's absolutely a start. And then next, um, finding someone that you can discuss the Bible with. Find someone that can sharpen you. Find someone that can encourage you in your faith and you can um, talk about these things. Um, talk about Jesus. Talk about what he wants. And um, being able to bounce these ideas and these thoughts and important things. Um, sharing in your faith. Sharing in what you're growing in, what you're struggling in. I just think that that's something that has been really, really invaluable in my life. Something that I needed. And um, so I'd say everyone needs to find someone. Okay. Let me ask you one more question. Um, what kind of difference would you say that is making in your life? How someone is struggling through things and they're maybe going through a difficult time, what would you say to, to them to say, hey, you know, this is something worth doing? Really, it's, uh, it's just I'm going through a lot of struggles in my life right now. And I feel like the things that I have been going through, I should be a bigger mess. Um, but I have hope because of my beliefs. Um, it is something that gives me a lot of joy. It gives me purpose in my life, and it's what I love. I feel like 
Um, there's no real explanation for that other than uh, Jesus gives me the joy that only he can. Well, uh, if you don't know Stephanie, uh, Stephanie's been coming for a little over a year, and it's just been awesome to see her grow. Stephanie plays uh, keyboard sometimes, and uh, it's just been awesome to watch that journey that she's been on as she just engages, can we get the lights on, that she just engages in on a, on a regular basis. So um, so where do we do? How, do? how do we do this? Well, Let's look at some things that Josiah did and see what we can learn. Um, Josiah took steps to be intentional. The first thing we see Josiah did is he started. You have to start somewhere. That's one of the hardest things, isn't it, sometimes, about doing something and being intentional about making a change in your life, is just taking the step to start. Um, if you look at verse 6, chapter 22, verse 6, Josiah is speaking to the priest, and he says this in verse 5. Actually, we'll start in verse 5. He says, um, he instructs the, the priest to give some money to the workers to repair the temple. He says, verse 5, he says, Have them entrusted to the men appointed to supervise the work of the temple, and have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. Also, have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. See, the temple was in complete disarray. The people had been away from God for so long that it had just been falling apart. Nobody had done anything to, go, to care for God's temple. So what is the first thing Josiah did when he wanted to follow the Lord? He went back to the temple, right? And some of you have made that step. Some of you have said, you know what? I know my life needs some change. I know there's, there's some things that are it's falling apart, i got to start somewhere, and what have you done? You, you went and you found a church, and praise God that you've done that. We're so glad that you're here, and you've become a part of Mountain View Fellowship, and we want you to be here growing and learning about God, but there comes a time when we have to take the next step, and that's taking the point of taking a personal responsibility for our faith. Of, of not just coming and allowing someone to, to share with you for a little bit here and there once a week or, you know, if we're honest, the way we attend church, maybe if we're really faithful, it's three times a month and some people once every other week and, you know, once a month, you know, those kinds of things. So, so because what happens when we're doing that is we're basically just saying, you know, hey, I come and I got, I've got a good start, but then what happens is we just kind of, it starts to fade, Right? And, we, and we, it starts to not be something we're really taking that serious. And, and so we'll go every now and then and we'll kind of get a feel-good moment and get some inter- encouragement and, and that kind of thing. And then it um, just kind of fades away. We've got to take the next step. And the next step is to take personal responsibility. Each and every one of us has to take personal responsibility for our faith. We see in uh, chapter 22, verse 8 through 10... When he went back and he started repairing the temple, he found that they, they found the book of the law. They basically found God's word. And that's how long it had been. That for generations, God's word had been not present among his people. And they found God's word. 
And so when they found God's word, Josiah didn't just go, okay, cool, that's good for someone else. He actually took personal responsibility. So we need to take that personal responsibility. You'll notice in your, in your bulletins, we included a Bible reading plan. And that Bible reading plan is there because we understand that some of you, it's, it's scary to start reading the Bible. You don't know where to start. You, you've, maybe you started before. Anyone ever do this, I'm going to start reading the Bible, so you open the Genesis 1 and you just start reading through, and by Leviticus, you're like, I, ah, yeah, okay? I, I know, when I first became a Christian, that's what I did. I, okay, well, I'll just start at the beginning. And, you know, by Leviticus, I was just like, I don't understand, and I was confused. So, so this Bible reading plan will help you kind of get to a place where it, it comes together and, and, and fits. And it's not one of these where you've got to read the whole Bible in a year. Because we understand if you've never read the Bible, that might be a little intimidating. Okay? So start slow. And if you miss a few days, that's okay. Just, just go back. I'm not, well, it's not okay. It's not okay. Do it. <laughs> just do it. But, but don't beat yourself up and, and say, well, I'm, I, I failed. and I'm not. Just, just get back on it. Just, just keep, continue on and see how far you can get through that and, and, and start developing that. Take personal responsibility. So that's our first thing is reading God's word. Hopefully you heard Stephanie talk about how important it was in her life to read God's word. That it wasn't something that she just put off. She, she, she made it something important in her life. Look at verse 11 of uh, chapter 22. It says, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. See, he took it personal. That's our first thing. When you're reading God's word, there's four things you need to do. The first thing is you need to take it personal. You don't read God's word. Don't do this. Don't read the Bible and go, you know, this verse would be good for my wife. That is not what you do when you're reading the Bible. Or I need to send this verse to my sister. You tell her, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's not the point. The point is you take it personal. Josiah says he tore his robes. That was because he, it was a, that was a common thing in that culture to show anguish, to show repentance, to, to show remorse. Josiah took a personal interest in what God's word said. When we read God's word, read it to take it personal. What is God speaking to you? Next, take it serious. Look at verse 12 and following. It says, he gave orders to the priest and his assistants. And then in verse 13, it says what those orders were. He said, it says, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. See, Josiah took it serious. He didn't just kind of go, well, you know, I get what it's saying, but, you know, look at the way things are. God's got to understand. We can't do that. We can't do it that way. We, we're, we'll, we'll do the best we can. We'll kind of figure these things out, and maybe in a few generations we'll get it knocked out. But, but you know, God's got to get that this is not the same time as back then. He took it serious. This is what God's Word says. And he, and he took a commitment to live that out, and that's our third thing. You've got to commit to it. We've got to commit to God's word if we're really going to be intentional about living our faith out. Look at, if we uh, look at verse 23, I mean, I'm sorry, chapter 23, the second half of verse 2 through verse 3, it says this. 
says, The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, regulations, and decrees with all his heart and with all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. See, he made a commitment. You know, that's one of the reasons we celebrate baptisms. Baptisms are a way of committing yourselves before others that you are going to follow the Lord. And so we celebrate that because that's a public commitment. But how often do we do that? How often do you publicly commit to your spouse? Now, he was the king. He was over everybody, right? But how often do you publicly commit to your spouse, hey, I am committed to following the Lord, and I want you to know that. I want you to know that that is my number one value. And I'm going to do everything I can to submit our marriage to that. How often do you share with your children that that is the most important value for you? Do your children think that their faith is more important or their education? Do your children think that their faith is more important or their sports? How much do you coach them in, the, in their faith versus these other areas? See, a lot of times we just wander and we think these things are going to get across, but if we're not intentional about it, I guarantee you what your kids are going to grow up thinking. Because we live in a culture where sports and education are pushed heavily. And if we're not careful, we get wrapped right into that. And, we, and then we wonder why our kids don't follow Christ. Because we haven't been intentional about making sure they understand that that is my number one priority. That's my number one value. That's my number one hope for you and your heart. We've got to commit to it. And that, you know what, another thing, that means that committing to things we don't like. <coughs> we have to commit to things we don't like. I'm gonna, can I give you a confession? There's a lot of things in the Bible I don't like. There's a lot of stuff I don't like. If it was me, I'd do it differently. You can start thanking God right now, it's not me. <laughs> right? But if it was me, I'd do it differently. I wouldn't do it the way, the way God does it. There's all sorts of things God says I'm, I, don't dis- I, I disagree with, I don't like it. It doesn't feel right to me. But I commit to it. Why? Because I believe it's God's word. Not just through faith, through through a whole lot of evidence as well as that faith. That I believe it's God's word. So that means it's his word even when I don't agree. That means it's his word even when I don't like what it says. That means it's his word even when I'm politically incorrect. That means it's his word. And so as your pastor, I have to stand up and say, I commit to that. And I will do my very best to to interpret from from the scripture what the truth is and and deal with that in in a committed way. Even when sometimes it means you don't like me. Even when it means that sometimes people disagree. Because that's what I'm committed to. See, we understand in every other area of life, right? I understand if I'm going to get physically fit, I have to commit to things I don't like. Right? I, have to, I understand that. I understand I don't like everything about physical fitness. I wish you could do it differently. I wish I, wish I could eat ice cream and cinnamon toast crunch every day and be healthy. I, that's what I wish. So I'm just going to do it that way and hope it all works out. Right? We know that's stupid. None of us would think that works. Right? 
But, but so we get, hey, if you want to be physically fit, there's things you, even when you don't like, you're, you've got to commit to. Even when you disagree with it because it doesn't feel good, it doesn't feel, I don't care. Healthy people, I love you so much. I do. I really love you. I, it does not feel good to eat a salad. It just doesn't. You, you, everyone tells me, oh, but if you do it enough, you just start to crave it. I have done, I, I just I don't crave it. I'm sorry. I crave it when, it's still, when I make a salad that in the end is actually still bad for me. That's when I'm like, oh, that was good, right? But I don't. I crave a burger. That's what I crave. I crave big fat steaks and I crave baked potatoes and those are the things I crave. I love you. Thank God that you crave them. I just don't. But, but my point is it doesn't feel right for me. There's times I go to the gym. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't, it, it's just not what I want to do. But if I want to stay in any kind of shape, I just know there's things I have to do and I commit to it. Same with education, right? We know that with education. If you want to be, have an education, you have to study when you don't feel like it. You, you'd, you might rather be out with your friends. You'd rather be doing something different. But you have to study because you want an education. You even have to study things you disagree with. And you're trying, trying to figure out and it doesn't make sense to you. But you do it because you're committed to that. And you follow through because you're committed. But unfortunately, sometimes in our faith, we think, well, if I don't agree with it, or it doesn't feel right to me, or it doesn't make sense in my head, then I'm just going to throw that part out. I'm not going to believe that part because I don't like the way it sounds. Guess what? My kids don't like the way a lot of the things I say about the way we run our house sound. Guess how much I care. It's not up to them whether or not they like it. It really isn't. It's my house. You want to run it the way you like it? Build a house or buy a house. Until then, we're going to do it this way. Guess, who's it? Guess who it's not up to how this world works? Us. You know, God says in Job, were you there when I created it all? Were you there when I did all this? Well, if not, then you know what? Remember whose place, remember where your place is. See, we don't have to like it all, but we're called, if we're going to live intentionally for Christ, we've got to commit even when we don't like it. And I know that, that that's not a popular thing to say. Finally, we have to act on it. We've got to act on it. Look at what Josiah did. If you read all through chapter 23 from verse 4 to verse 23, he cleans house. Because it had been generations of people not following after God, the, the people had basically started erecting all these idols and worshiping false gods. And I mean, there were, um, there were sex gods and all these kinds of things that were just completely degrading in God's, in God's land. And, and Josiah just went through and, and cleaned house. He got rid of all of it. And why? Verse 24, it says this. He did this, or this he did to fulfill the requirements of the law. See, he took a personal, knew that he had a personal responsibility in it. He took it serious. He committed to it, and then he actually acted on it. And that's where this, you guys, this is the most important one. If you get any of these, this is the most important one. Because this is the intentionality gap right here. 
See, oftentimes we're convicted and we get committed to something, but then we don't act. And if we want fruit in our life, we have to take this final step. We've got to take action if we're going to bear fruit in our life. We can't just read God's word and say, oh, that was nice. I'm going to buy a coffee cup with that on it. We actually have to take action on it. That's a tough one. Before I get to your, the final step, I want to t- divert real quick and talk about how does that work out for us as a church? How do we be intentional as a church? Because you see, a lot of people mistakenly believe that as, at a church, if you just kind of preach and, and have good intentions as a church, you can just kind of wander through faith as a church and the church will be successful in Christ's mission. But that's, that's a mistaken belief by everything I see. Let me show you some of the things I see, statistics, about the church in America. Every year, more than 4,000 churches close their doors compared to just 1,000 new churches that start. So, so every year, there's 3,000 churches that are just no longer in existence. At the turn of the last century, the turn of the 19th century, there was a ratio of 27 churches for every 10,000 people in the United States. Compared to the turn of the, uh, the um, 20th century, there was, okay, I'm going to say this over again. At the turn of the 19th century, there was a ratio of 27 churches to every 10,000 people. At the turn of the 20th century, there were 11 churches to every 10,000 people. The United States is now ranked third following only China and India in the number of people who are not professing Christ followers. So in other words, we have become the third highest unreached people group. Half of all churches in the U.S. did not add one new person in the last two years. Of those that added one new person, of those that added new people, only one-third of those churches actually saw someone make a new commitment to Jesus Christ. That means that maybe about 12% of churches in America are actually accomplishing any kind of mission for Jesus Christ. And yet, we say we're on mission. Does does anyone else see the disconnect that maybe it doesn't just happen by saying, hey, we love Jesus and preaching and talking and having Bible studies? Maybe it just doesn't happen that way. Maybe to be on mission, just like anything else we're going to be on mission in life in, we have to be intentional about the things we do. We actually have to focus to actually get these things done. And so that's why as a church at Mountain View, we are very intentional about what we do. And you know, I think we should be excited at Mountain View that we've baptized well over 120 people in the last nine and a half years. And well, those over 120 people, the majority of them have been adults who make a first decision for Christ. That we're not, not, you know, I'm not discounting children making that decision. That is so awesome. We need that is so so important. But it doesn't necessarily show that we're reach, we're accomplishing our mission. The mission says that we need to be out. We need to be reaching people so that people can know the hope and the peace and the joy and the love of Jesus Christ in their life. And so we have to be intentionally focusing on these things. And we've never apologized to Mountain View about being intentional about that. 
And we continue to not, we will not apologize for that. See, Jesus says that we are the hope of the world. The, the church, as sad as that is, is the hope of the world. And the reason I say as sad as that is is because the church is messed up. We have our issues, we have our problems, and Mountain View is in no way void of those. We've got our share of huge problems and issues and things we're working through. One of our biggest issues is talking right now. <laughs> right? I mean, we, we have our problems. We get that. But we have to stay focused on our intention and, of, of the, and being intentional about reaching people for Christ. That's why one of the things we, folk, we, we don't apologize for is that we lean out instead of in. What do I mean by that? Churches naturally start to lean in. Churches naturally, after a while, just start to kind of make, you know, just do things that we always, we feel comfortable about. Because I don't know about you, but I love to be comfortable. Anyone else love to be comfortable? It's like one of my favorite things, being comfortable. I like it. I like comfortable pants. I like my comfortable chair, right? I like, a, I, I, everywhere I go, I like to be comfortable. Churches are no different. We like to be comfortable. So if we're just kind of wandering, we're not focused, we just start becoming comfortable. And we stop pushing ourselves to be out in the world. We stop pushing ourselves to be inviting people. We stop pushing ourselves to do things that maybe aren't the way we would do it if it was just for us, but we want to do it so that other people can know the hope of Jesus. We stop pushing ourselves for those things. You know, I'll be honest. If we're just going to be comfortable... I would love to just lean in. I would love to stop work. I'd love to stop focusing on this vision. Because honestly, we're at a church that's sadly to say that I know some of them, that many pastors at the st stage we're at right now say, cool, it's time for me to golf twice a week. Because the church is up and going, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it a little bit easier now. But that's not the that, if So if, if it was about what I would do, we, that'd be great. I'll go on a motorcycle ride and fish. But you see, God has put this passion in us that we have got to be intentional about being the light of the world. That God has put us in this place that there are towns like Duchesne and Vernal and Roosevelt and Colville and Morgan and Eden that have basically no gospel presence in them that we are called to plant places that people can come in their community and worship Jesus. And that means we have to work. That means we have to stretch ourselves. That means we have to be intentional. And that means in order to do that, we have to do things. We're going to talk, Mike's going to talk at the, at the end of the service about this little booklet we want you to take home. Because in order to do all those things, we've got to accept the fact that we have to expand here. We're running three services to be, to be able to accommodate everything. Our children's Literally, I, we just bought Velcro because we're just going to start Velcroing them to the walls. It's, it's, it, 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 it's, it's too much for this building. And, and we, we, have, we have to do something. The, the only seats that are really open are what we call the no, no one wants to sit zone, right? The seat, first row, right? Because it's too much. So we run three services. We're too small of a church to run three services. You know what happens when we run three services? That means all of our resources going, go to serving us. Because all of our volunteers are putting all their hours into just running services. That's not right. Because we're called to be out there. So we need to, we need to figure out a way that we can be together in one or two services again so we can, we can expand and continue to reach people. And so that means entering into a building project. And so we're being very intentional about what we've been doing. And we've been planning it for two years. 
because we didn't want to just step into something without really taking the time to think it through. And we wanted to make sure we were really at a place that we knew that that was what God was calling us to do and not just what we wanted. So we're being intentional. And our hope is that you're on board, that you're in with that, to be intentional on that. And I'm just going to deal with this last point. Intentionality requires focus. Intentionality requires focus, both in your personal life and in us as a church. If you look at what Josiah did, he tore down all those, this, those idols. All those things that were pulling people away from God. They were taking their attention. They were taking their time and their resources. And he tore it all down. He cleaned house. And it's easy for us to look at that and say, well, that's Old, Old Testament idols. That's what they had. We don't have idols. Right? We have idols. We probably have two or three idols in our pockets and purses. Right? Our phones, our keys, right? Our, our clothing can be our idols. Our, the way we look, our, how we appear on Facebook can be our idol, right? The, you name it, our sports. All these things can be idols if they're getting in the way of God. And it's even harder. I think it's harder in our culture. Because, see, for them, it was very obvious. These were, these were basic, you know, other kind of forms of, of a God that they were specifically worshiping is very obvious. For us, these are all things that really, at some level, we need to get through in society, right? We, we, you, you need them, and God wants you to enjoy these things at some level. But the moment they become in front of God, the moment they take place of Him, that's an idol. So I'll just close with this quick story quick illustration of my, of my own personal idols I deal with. I love to stay up late at night. That's, I've never been a morning person. I don't care if I get, yeah, you can, I can get eight hours sleep or nine hours sleep, whatever you want to tell me is a good night of sleep. And the first 45 minutes I wake up, I feel like I just, I, something ran me over. I just, I hate it. Doesn't matter. I hate the mornings. I love night. I can stay up late, late, late. But I found that my life was getting busy to a point that I was not finding time to personally spend in God's Word. I was spending time for studying for sermons, but for God just to personally speak to me and for me to just build, build that relationship with God, I wasn't having that. And so God convicted me that I needed to give up the idol of staying up late so that I could get up early in the morning and start it. Because I, try, I kept doing that. I'm going to try it at night. And... Just couldn't keep my focus. And so I had a conviction. I, that was becoming an idol that I needed to get rid of. And so I made a conviction, I, I made a commitment three years ago that I was going to get up, go to bed earlier so that I can get up early and study God's word before everything else starts going on. And the awesome thing is I did really great for about three to five months. And then I noticed it keep coming back. I keep, I keep struggling with it. And you see, what I found is it's one of those idols that I, I want to hold on to, and it's hard for me to let go of. And I know what's best for me, but I still struggle with that. And I just say that to say, you know, a lot of times we think of it being this big thing. It can, anything, though, that gets in the way of our relationship with God, of us growing with Him, of us being intentional, is something that we need to give over to Him. So let's focus our attention. 
Let's focus our attention on being a church filled with people that are intentional about abiding in him and bearing fruit, both as individuals and as a body. God has some big things in store for MVF. If we will just be on our knees before him, if we will just trust him, and we will be intentional about living for him. Let's pray. God, I thank you.